Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Psychology of Resilience. I am so happy to have Dr. Catherine Neal, the founder of Cornerstone Psychological Associates in Columbia, Maryland, as my guest today. Dr. Neal was educated at the University of Virginia and George Mason University. Her practice focuses on the mental health and psychological well-being of adults, couples, and older adolescents, of people just like you and I. Welcome, 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 Dr. Neal. Thank you. Thank you for having me. As we get started, I want to ask you a question that may make you say, duh, uh, and it may seem very basic to you and kind of simplistic, but I need to ask it anyway. Okay. Why do people come to a psychologist? People come to a psychologist because they're in pain and they want their pain to go away, some kind of emotional pain. And my job is not really to take away their pain, it's to help them become more resilient so that they can manage their own pain. Hmm. Is it possible? Is it possible for everybody to become more resilient and manage their own pain? It's absolutely possible. I think we all have an innate capacity to heal. We all have, it, resilience is hardwired. Healing is hardwired, and that's not just a metaphor. That's not just a, a feel-good thing to say. That is absolutely true. We are, we are born with that capacity. But it's a little bit like language, right? We are all born hardwired to develop a language, but we have to have people talk to us. We have to hear it spoken, and we have to go through a process so that we can develop language. If we don't hear it, we're not going to be able to speak it. And I think that resilience is very similar. It, we have the innate capacity, the potential, but we need to have it developed. Hmm. When we think about resilience, it's a term that I think is becoming kind of trite. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what it is and what are the frameworks for it? I think that's true. I think it is almost, you know, it's an overused word. And I don't know that there's a technical or specific definition. I mean, I think it is a broad definition. It really is the ability to mentally or emotionally cope with a crisis or return to a pre-crisis state quickly. So... We can think about resilience as adaptability, flexibility, elasticity, the ability to bounce back. Mental toughness is a form of resilience, the capacity to repair. And there are two aspects of resilience. There's the idea of adaptability, but there's also the idea of adapting, particularly in the face of adversity or challenge or tragedy or trauma. So it, it has both of those components, the component of adaptability and coping, but also the, the idea of stress or challenge. You just used a term that I would like to explore a little bit more. Mm. 
You said mental toughness. Yeah. What is, I love the sound of it. So mm. what is it? Well, I, I think mental toughness has to do with, I mean, probably you'd get 20 different answers if you talk to 20 different psychologists. But I think it has to do with the idea of specifically overriding your emotions, overriding sort of specific emotions. And maybe an example is getting out of bed in the morning, right? If you don't feel good or it's cold or you're <laughs> tired, you haven't gotten enough sleep, maybe you're hungover, right? And a mental toughness is the ability to say, you know what, I am going to push through this because I need to get up and I need to go to work. And so somebody who doesn't have that mental toughness is going to roll back over or call in sick. And somebody who has the mental toughness is going to get up and they're going to do it anyway. So it's not that our emotions aren't important to us or that we don't need to listen to them. But it's this idea that we can have a different relationship to our feelings, that they don't – we listen to them, we tune into them, they tell us important things that we need to understand about ourselves, but they're just data. And when we understand that emotions are really just bodily sensations, they're not going to kill us, and it's just data – then we can start to choose when, when we, what we're going to do with them. And so men, mental toughness is a form of self-discipline, and it's, it's deciding. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sad right now, but I'm not going to give in to it. I'm going to push forward. Now, it's interesting that you say, I'm sad right now, mm -hmm. but I'm going to push forward. When I hear that, what I think is that emotions are right now and that they don't right. have to be a permanent state of being. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that I like that. I think yes. that that gives me personally uh, optimism. Um, is optimism a component of resilience? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, I Well, I like to think I'm a relatively optimistic person, so... Uh, I'm glad to hear that that's a component of resilience. As we think more about resilience, mm. you gave an example of the mental toughness. How else does resilience show up in people's thoughts, in their actions, their their behaviors? How else will I know that Joanne has it? I'm really curious. You gave the example of pushing and you know, getting out of bed, and um, I asked you about optimism. Mm -hmm. So how how does it show up, this yeah. resilience, in what people are thinking, how they're behaving, in their thoughts and in their actions? Well, resilient people, I'm not sure if you're asking, like, how, how do you... How, what does a resilient person look like? I'm asking that, and I'm also asking, how do they think and how do they behave? You know, what what is it? Like, how do they think? How do they behave? So a resilient person is even-keeled. I think one of the key 
aspects of resilience is the capacity to self-regulate, right? In terms of neurobiology, we can think about resilience as a return to homeostasis. That, and bear with me a little bit, but if you've got, sure. if you've got, this is the basic fight or flight, which I think we all know, but if you've got a bear charging at you in the woods, you've got a couple of choices. You can stay and fight the bear. You can drop to the ground and freeze and hope that the bear loses interest. <laughs> <laughs> or if the bear is going to maul you, it's going to be painless. <laughs> You'll get it over <laughs> with, right? <laughs> or you can run away, uh -huh. right? Which is not a good thing to do if there's a bear in the woods. But you've got a few choices and you, your body takes over. You go into fight or flight. It's not a time to think about, huh, well, Interesting. Is that a black bear or a brown bear? <laughs> it's a time for your body to take over and do what it needs to do. And your adrenaline shoots up and your cortisol shoots up and you do what you have to do. Your heart rate goes up and you're completely out of whack. You're out of homeostasis. And hopefully you live to tell, tell the tale, right? You've, you've done what you need to do. You've survived the bear. And then your body returns to homeostasis, hopefully quickly. Your heart rate goes back down. You're calm again. Your adrenaline goes down. The cortisol stays up a little bit for a while, then comes down. And that's self-regulation. And people who can feel their emotions but can regulate are resilient people, right? People who aren't resilient are in a state of hyperarousal, or hypo arousal, and you know they're they're either anxious, aggressive, angry, flooded, overwhelmed, right? That's hyper arousal, mm -hmm. or they're detached, demoralized, depressed, unmotivated. That's hypo arousal. But people who are able to regulate kind of can live in that zone of feeling their feelings, so they can be passionate, they can be creative, they can be lively, they can be fun, but they're not easily overwhelmed and they don't have to shut down they can they can regulate okay so that takes me back to something you said in the beginning that we're hardwired for resilience mm -hmm. we may be hardwired for it but we may still have to cultivate it am i correct exactly exactly so um this gets to the idea that resilience requires us to be stressed. Hmm. We cannot build resilience. And I think this is a really important point. We can't build resilience by keeping ourselves safe and unchallenged. We have to be challenged and we have to have a certain amount of stress in order to develop resilience. And I, I think this is what people have lost when they talk about, um, you know, stress reduction and yoga and managing stress, those are all wonderful, wonderful things. But we, we don't want to eliminate stress from our lives. Mm -hmm. So when we build resilience, the way to do it is to have predictable, controllable, manageable, incremental stresses, right? And we see this with children. This is how we raise children. We give them tasks that are age appropriate and they're not too overwhelming, but they can manage. And we push them a little bit to their limits and then they get a little bit stressed out 
and then we can help them regulate. And we can say, well, it's okay. Let's break it down. Let's talk this through. And then they've got a little bit of resilience under their belt. And then they go on to the next thing. But do you think that's reality? Like, I don't think in my life that I've had manageable, um, incremental stressors. Sometimes things have just come and kind of knocked me off my feet. Um, So how... That's right. And that's, you know, if it's too much, then it's trauma. Hmm. And it, it, you know, if things knock you off your feet... I mean, this is the analogy, right, is that resilient people, you know, we are all in the game of life. We're all in the game. And resilient people are just as likely to get hurt, to get injured. You, If, if you're going to play, you're going to get injured sooner or later, uh-huh. right? And maybe it's going to be a bruise on the knee and maybe it's going to be a more serious injury. But if you if you come into that with all, with resilience and you you're not going to be sidelined as long right and we're okay we're, we're... okay so it's the resilience that enables um, recovery perhaps quicker it enables the recovery more quickly yeah i mean when you get knocked down you, it's if if you have developed and built your, resi- your resilience over time you're, things are still going to come out at you, but if you've if you've had that training, you'll be in a better position to handle it. Let me tell you what this makes me think of. There's an yeah. old old Frank Sinatra song called "That's Life," mm-hmm. and he goes through. I've been a puppet, a poet, a pauper, a pawn, and a prince, mm. and he wow. talks about I've been up and down and over and out. But I know one thing. <laughs> you know that song. I, this is like my mantra. Each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race. Mm-hmm. I love that song. Yeah. And it, it, this is silly, but in particularly difficult periods of my life, I have played that song over and over and over mm-hmm. again because it's like, yes, I will pick myself up and get back in the race. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that might be the song to capture resilience. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So here's an analogy, right? If you go to the gym, like you, if your muscles are weak and you have no resilience, mm-hmm. you go to the gym and you start lifting, right? It, if you go to the gym and you try to lift 300 pounds right off the bat, you're going to tear a muscle. Mm-hmm. That's trauma. Mm-hmm. That's not a way to build resi- resilience, and there's no way to prepare for that, right? It's just too much, too fast. Mm-hmm. If you go to the gym and you work for a couple of weeks and then you give up, you're not really doing anything. But if you go to the gym and you lift weights incrementally and you keep doing it and you persist at it, you're going to get stronger. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep lifting weights to stay strong. And that's resilience. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that things don't happen, but you're in a better position to manage them okay because things do happen because things do happen and they keep happening and they keep happening yeah i like the gym analogy i can Mm. i can actually relate to Mm. that in so many ways resilience and vulnerability you know we're all vulnerable that's the human condition and the vulnerability is not good or bad it just is Mm -hmm. right we can get humiliated we can get 
rejected, we can get abandoned, we can fail, all of these things. But it's how you deal, and this is the Brene Brown stuff about wholeheartedness, right? That, which is, a, I think, another way of thinking about resilience. Hmm. That, okay. That how do you lean into that vulnerability? And as opposed to uh, shutting down and rejecting it. Yeah. That okay. if you that if you are resilient, if you have the confidence, if you know that you can bounce back. Mm-hmm. then you're more willing to take risks. Okay. okay. They're not as scary. Okay. So I want to kind of tie that into mm. career stuff. Yeah. Career stuff. One of the things that I see and am seeing a lot is people who are blindsided when they lose a job, mm. who are blindsided when uh, they're demoted, <laughs> People who are blindsided when their company merges with another company and they're offered a severance package because their function is no longer needed. It would be a duplicate function. Mm. I'm even seeing a lot of really, to me, it's obvious that people are being forced out of their job because of their age. Mm. And that's, to me, one of those, all of those are things that are traumatic but they're also, they're not easy to bounce back from. What do you advise or how do you guide people who, you know, their livelihood is now threatened, uh, their sense of self-worth is diminished, um, and there's there's fear. I mean, I hear that a lot with my consulting clients. Absolute fear and terror of what am I going to do next? What am I going to do now? What, what do you say? Because it's not like you can say, well, you're resilient. Uh, lift 10 more pounds at the gym. What do right. you say? You know, that's a big question. And I, you know, people are going to be, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of the year, right, where people are going to lose their housing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's painful, isn't it? Yeah, it's really painful. It's painful. Yeah. I'm not sure how to answer that. I mean, I, because again, I think it's, it's a hard time to be handed a 300 pound weight if you haven't been to the gym. Right. Right. And so, you know, I could talk about what separates someone who's going to be able to, and it's, it's a really unkind thing to say, oh, well, just be resilient. Just mm-hmm. bounce back from mm-hmm. that, right? That's not what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, oh, I think a way, oh, I, I don't know, Joanne. I mean, I, I'm struggling because it's too big a question. I don't, and maybe, I don't know. But Well, you know what? I love the fact that you're struggling because what it, what it says to me is if you, the trained psychologist, are struggling, then it's not a big deal that I, the person who, after 25 years with a company, am really struggling. Yeah. Or that I, uh, a gentleman called me recently. He um, he knows he's getting ready to lose his job in yeah. January. And he said, Joanne, I have not looked for a job in 25 years. What am I going to do? He said, I've got a mortgage, a wife, two kids, what am I going to do? 
And so if I see you grappling with it, then I think it's absolutely okay that people like he and I um, and lots of other people would grapple with it as well. Mm -hmm. Here's some things that I would say, right, is one thing is to look at what about that situation is making it painful for you. Mm -hmm. And what thoughts are you having, right? And this gets to looking at the relationship between your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors. So if you're thinking, well, I lost the job because I'm worthless. I lost the job because I wasn't good enough. They fired me because I was the one to let go because everybody hates me and I'm stupid, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's – those thoughts are not, you know, they're not accurate. They're not helpful. It's not self-compassion. And so it, it, you could start with separating, with really observing what is it that you're saying to yourself about what just happened. You know, how am I going to pay my bills? That's a real problem. Mm-hmm. But to separate – to, to look at, you know, what what's the distortion? What are you thinking about this situation that may not be helpful and may not be true? Mm-hmm. And being able to separate that and being able to kind of deal with or manage those thoughts that you're having that are creating feelings that aren't necessary and aren't real because you know i mean things like losing a job that's it feels so personal it feels so rejecting it feels like a failure because sometimes it is i mean dr neil sometimes it is a rejection yeah sometimes it is a failure and i think that that's the reality that people have to grapple with and we we can talk about the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion for one thing So what's the difference? So self-esteem, you know, that's the buzzword. Uh, But it it really involves a comparison. Like, how how do you... It's an emphasis on how you're different, right? It's, I have self-esteem because I'm smarter, stronger, faster, better, prettier, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, It's an evaluation, right? There's an evaluative component to it. How do you... What, how are you competitive against other people, perhaps? Self-compassion is almost the opposite. It's not how are you different or how do you separate yourself from the pack. It's how, what's the common humanity? How are you like everybody else? So, wow, I failed. I really screwed up. I made a mistake. Everybody does that. It happens. Mm-hmm. How can I look at why I did that and be forgiving toward myself, be kind toward myself? You know, it's not to indulge yourself or, or let yourself off the hook for every mistake that you made. But what's the common thread, right? How, how does this make me human? Mm. And so it's, it connects you. And when we're connected, we don't feel shame, right? Shame is the feeling of you are different from everybody else. You screwed up. You're kicked out of the tribe. 
And so you're not deserving of connection to other people. The opposite of, the opposite of shame is connection, right? It's this sense of, oh, you made a mistake. It happens. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> okay, let's look at that. What can we learn from that? How do we, you know, I did that too. That happened to me. Let me tell you about the mistake that I made. Let me tell you about the time that I got fired. And now we're in it together, right? And now there's not as much shame about it. And now, and and that puts you in a better position to learn Mm -hmm. and grow and be resilient, Mm -hmm. right? Because now you're not anxious, you're not hyper aroused, right? Because you're not, your heart's not pounding. Oh my gosh, I'm kicked out of the tribe. I'm a horrible person. What did I do? This is so terrible. Mm -hmm. Now you're, now you're self-regulated. And so now you can start to think, okay, I screwed up. This is where I went wrong. This is how I can do better. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not even that I screwed up. Sometimes it's, you know, this is this is just something that happened. Because what I see mm-hmm. with clients is they didn't always screw up. I mean, the the company decided on a different path. Um, sometimes they did screw up, but sometimes it's you know what the reality of life is: mergers and acquisitions happen. Mm-hmm. They happen every day. They happen all day, and. You know, so sometimes it's not that we screwed up. It's huh, right. the stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you said something else that I think is interesting about um, in that last example, having someone to share this with mm-hmm. and to process this with. Is that somehow woven into resilience that you have people that you can process and kind of talk things through? And not just a psychologist, Mm -hmm. but other people in your world. Yeah. So we are, humans are social creatures. Mm -hmm. I can't say that enough. And I I don't know if this is tangential. But, you know, I I said we're hardwired to become resilient and to learn how to self-regulate and uh, again, I'm sorry, like, bear with me. Maybe this is a little, I think this answers your question, but it's a little tangential. But you're, when you're, we're born, we cannot, there's no resilience. So little baby gets hungry or they need their diaper changed. They cry. There's, it's just hunger. That's all there is. They're tired. That's all there is. There's no capacity to be resilient about that. And so mom or maybe dad comes in, picks up the baby, comfort it, baby calms down. That's co-regulation, right? That is the parent helping the child learn how to self-regulate and learn how to develop resilience. That is the parent actually wiring the child's brain, right? You're developing the circuitry between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and the hippocampus so that this uh, picking up a child, comforting, soothing, regulating, calming the child down, the child internalizes that. It's, oh, I'm crying. Then mom comes in. She picks me up. I feel better. And over time, the child learns how to do that on their own. But it's something that's done in connection and there's this expression, we, we get hurt 
mm-hmm. in relationship and we heal in relationship. And now I'm forgetting your original question, but we absolutely develop resilience in relationships. Okay. And I don't know, maybe I didn't answer your question at all, maybe. I think you did because my question was around whether resilient people um, are in communion with other people or are in community Absolutely. with other people. Yeah. So that was my yeah. question. And yeah. yeah, I think you did. And I, I love the thing that you just said that we hurt in relationships, but we also heal in relationships. Mm-hmm. I think that that is something to take note of in our relationship. I mean, all, almost all of our emotional pain is in relationship to other people, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, even if we're lonely and isolated, that's about being disconnected from other people. Right, right. And so we we heal in relationships, and this is where therapy is so important because it is the relationship that's wh- where the healing takes place. As we wrap up, Dr. Neal, are there two or three points that you want to be sure that we remember about resilience? We all have the capacity to develop resilience. It's all in there. You know, if you're a reasonably healthy person psychologically and you just want to grow a little bit more or feel a little stronger or be able to adapt or bounce back a little bit more, A lot of this work you can do on your own. There's a lot to read. There are a lot of great people that talk about this stuff. If you're feeling more fragile, if you're feeling depressed, overwhelmed, anxious all the time, then get help for it. There is a lot of good therapy out there, and you don't have to do it alone. I like that. You don't have to do it alone. So, Dr. Neal, I am so appreciative that you took your time to share your insights on resilience. And you know what, more appreciative than that, I, I like the fact that you're, you had just been real with us. You mm. didn't come with some canned shtick. So I appreciate your authenticity and your realness. And I hope that you'll come back. I hope that you will find time to come back to the Smichael Speaks podcast channel. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. I would love to come back. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe if you haven't already. I add new and relevant leadership learning all of the time. If you haven't visited the Smichael Speaks YouTube channel, check it out. There's all sorts of new content. All of this is virtual leadership learning that will help you soar.